Uh, I just remembered something else I was going to ask you before we went on. Uh-oh. What's that? I was going to ask you if you were still or, again, the most hated man in Cornhole after being on with Wally. You said oh, you no. We, it it, was that it wasn't. Yeah, it's always live on okay. uh, Monday night at 8. Yeah, it, uh, was it edgy? No. Was it controversial? It, Are you in no, trouble? No. When, when he originally sent in the 10 you know, subjects he wanted to discuss, I was like, man, some of those, you know, I, I, I wasn't aware of exactly how he was framing it. He just sent it in, you know, here's a block of 10 things I want to talk about. And I was like, man, some of those aren't going to go over too well with the people that signed the checks. But, uh, oh, oh, yeah. interesting. So not like with players, like with, no, no, like with front office people. Right. Ah, interesting. Well, just decisions, right. Where, you know, but it, it didn't really come out that way. So it was fine. It was, it was uneventful, put it that way. It was, it was a good, it was a good show. It was just uneventful. Okay. Cause I was afraid, I was afraid, um, well, no one listens to our show anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> But I was afraid yeah. that what we talked. I was afraid what we talked about last week was a little edgy with the, with the TV stuff. But, but I, I literally, I do, I do feel literally, passionate. no one talks. No one, no one of importance in that facility watches our show. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Which, which is funny. So we can literally talk about whatever you want to talk about whenever you want to talk about it because apparently they don't watch. So. Yeah. Okay. Good. So we got some security in that. Yeah, we can literally say whatever we want, Jeff. So well, let's just start I, bashing people. It'll be interesting today because our guest, that'll be a topic that I'd like to talk to our guest about today. So we can talk to, we can talk to him about it a little bit too. But I I do, I do feel passionately about that just because I think it's something simple that can be done, you know, to help just identify the players and get them some. What was it? Some What was it again? Just by being able to, to identify the players more easily on TV, whether it's through, you know, bag colors or through jerseys or the way that we put the names on the, actually, you know, put the names on the lower third to identify them. Just something to make it a little bit easier. So when someone first tunes in, boom, you know who's playing. Yeah. yeah. I, I I hear you. I, th- I think it's any sport that like I, I actually thought about it. Like if you let's say you're just a random sports fan, you, you turn on the Australian Open. How would you know who's who? The only way that you would know is the little ball next to the person that's serving, unless mm-hmm. you know, unless you know who those people are. So maybe we could do something like that and have a little bag next yeah. to the people that are throwing. I, I, I don't know, but yeah, I think I think that's a, I think that's a great example. I mean, instantly when you turn it on, you know, you, I mean, it takes you a second, but you know who's who. Yeah, and I think in ours, especially when the bags get close, and again, you know, they, they try and do as good a job as possible to make the bags, you know, strikingly different, so you can tell difference on the board but yeah but but two things one was player identification i want the players to be easily identified yeah um when you're when you're watching and uh and you're looking down at the graphic and then two just the actual play-by-play itself you you need to be able to see whose bags are whose look i'm i'm with you and this I, that was a big thing that was my I, big I, point last i'm week. a hundred percent behind you on this i think this comes down to bag manufacturers and players yeah because we've we've made people change bags before, and it's sure. an uproar, right? We've the yeah. ACL has had to force people to play with bags that aren't theirs. They have to know this. This isn't new now. This is years, yeah. and yet they continue to fight it. It's crazy to me. I mean, it's literally crazy to me. It, it's crazy. Yeah, that, and they refuse oh, like to it. adjust, and, and like it's it's like a pissing contest. It really is. It's like, well, you know, they're not going to make me change. Like, yeah. 
They are. And now it's getting to the point where people feel so bad about it from the ACL side. They're like, you'll just see them kind of wince and say, well, I guess it's far enough apart. It's like, it's not. Yeah. Blue and gray aren't that far apart. The other thing we can do is just something simple like with the graphic. Like I was saying, you know, if, if you and I are playing against each other and you're watching mm-hmm. TV and and I'm on the, let's let's say we're on the near sideline. You know, we're, we're Trey and I said, where you stand? Right. So the player who's on kind of that, we'll call it the top side, mm-hmm. their name should be on the top line. So if I'm on the top side, the far side of the board, my name would be on top and then your name on the bottom so that you, it lines up correctly with the players the way they are on the court. Yeah. I think, I think even something simple like that helps. In doubles, it, stay- it becomes much tougher, but in singles, I think it should be easy to do. Yeah, I think but, doubles can be the same. I mean, let's let's say it's, let's say, let's it's say, just who do you, how do you do it? But then it but then it looks like opponents are actually partners, and and that's where it becomes. I think if you did, I think if you did like top line Jay and Jordan, and they were on the they were on the the far side of the boards. Jay, you know, is on the left side. Jay Rubin, Jordan Power, mm-hmm. you know, and let's say I think they try. I think they try to do that. Yeah, I think they try to do that. It also comes down to managing time and bricks. Yeah. Because when they come back, David sometimes doesn't have enough time. And he's like, all right, stop them on this end. Well, when they put the bags in behind them, I'm actually privy to this, by the way. They end up doing it opposite because there's not enough time coming out of the break. And that that's kind yeah. of dependent on the truck. And I never want to blame David and those guys for anything. But sometimes what comes like the way that it's set up originally, because the time's not done right coming out, then it's done backwards and they have to redo it. Yeah. And it, it, it becomes an issue. But uh I don't know, man. I, I I think it should be a simple fix, but it, it it always seems to be an issue. Yeah, it seems simple to me too. But you bring up a great point because it is so. It, that, that's what makes this sport unique, and that's what makes it different than broadcasting a football or a basketball game. And we've talked about this before, but you know, I mean, I've got, I've got a week to prepare for a game. I know exactly, you know, who I'm going to see. Yeah, um, and and uh, we know the team's colors, and and I mean it's just it's just very easily identifiable and easy to prepare for, uh, for for the broadcasters and for everyone in the truck. You know, we we prepare like I've got three games in five days coming up. They will yeah. actually send me the graphics that we will sure. go through, um, because we know exactly you know what what teams are playing and when they're playing and what days. With cornhole, it, it it's it's very it's it's very chaotic. It's a couple hours. I mean, it really yeah. is. It's a couple you hours. Know who you're going to see. So that's a good and, point. I mean, it's, and to it's, the it's, uh, players, they don't get it. It's like it's a couple hours. It's like it's not as simple as you think it is. Nothing is as simple as everyone thinks it is, right, because yeah. what they have to do in the truck takes time. I mean, just just the way they have to set up their relay signals takes time. Yeah, it, it's it's not as simple as everyone thinks it is. But right. I yeah. wish I, I agree with you. I, I think there should be a way that we can identify them better. I just yeah. want to make it be, because because we're still waiting on it to become a next level spectator sport. I just want right. to make sure, and obviously it's what I do for a living. I just want to make sure that it is as good as it can possibly be on TV. Because right now, that's kind of our lifeline. Yeah, you know, I mean that's 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 the exposure. We all know we're not getting. I mean, other than a few events that we've had, obviously Rock Hill is awesome. But outside of that, you know, we had that we had that one off in in Nashville. But you know we're still waiting for it to grow as that big spectator sport. So I want it to be just outstanding yeah. on TV because it is. It's great on TV. I mean, it's a lot of people say even though, and again, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole again. But even you know even the bag bags in consecutive bags in 25, 30 in a row. Uh, m- many TV executives that I've talked to, they even love it. There's something mesmerizing about watching the flight of the bag, the way that it softly lands, the way it slides up and disappears into the hole. There's something mesmerizing. 
and something attractive about that on TV. Yeah. You know, it, I mean, I get it. Not for the players. <laughs> and again, I don't want to get into this debate. No, no, no. But, but uh, you know, I mean, there's, it's, it, it's, it, it's really fun to watch. On TV, so I just want to make sure that it stays as yeah. enjoyable. Well, I mean, and some of it's identifiable. Yeah, some of it, Jeff's production value, right? And some of that yeah. costs money. And I think where yeah. we're at right now, from the ACL perspective, is we're tapped out on what we can spend. Yeah, uh, some of this yeah, would require more. Money. Don't take money. Like, like, the, like the play, you'd be surprised. The player stuff. The player stuff doesn't take. Doesn't you take should money. talk it's, to David. It's, it's time. I think it's more of a time thing. Yeah, talk like to David and Sean about some of that and how they have to set up the teams beforehand because they're actually doing it on the computer beforehand. And you'll see that it actually takes, you know, from what software we have available to use, I, I think yeah. is part of the problem. And that, you know, if you want to use more, you have to pay for more. And so yeah. it's, it's, uh, about that. it's, uh, it's, I think I, I, I agree with you. I think there's more that can be done, but it's a production value thing. And it, it, I think everyone has to get on the same page. And, you know, I, I think that we have to get on the same page as far as the ACL and, you know, Sean, and then, you know, whomever else, you know, use, it's not really Sean as much anymore as it is Josh kind of running the bags and the information there with that platform, with the scoring platform, and yeah. then what they have to do in the truck to get that on the air. I, I think that there's some things that could be done better there, but I'm not, I don't know enough about it. I don't know what the tweaks are. I think the biggest, I think the biggest pushback that I agree with that you were saying is time just because it's just so chaotic. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, we'll figure it out. But on, on a positive note, um, Michelle did a great job. I, I love, I loved what we did in Myrtle beach, just being able to try and tell a few more stories and mm -hmm. it helps out a ton to be able to have Michelle down there just to be able to, to kind of further, um, you know, help do some storytelling. So, so I thought that, I thought that was good. I like that. You talking about the draft or just in general on the floor? Yeah. Okay. Well, I was talking more during the actual broadcast, during the actual yeah. college singles and college doubles mm -hmm. uh, national championship. We did a good job, I think, of kind of developing some of those stories. So it was good. And it helps with Michelle doing that. The Michelle's a cornhole person. Yeah. yeah we've had we've had amazing sideline people before. I mean, truly amazing that are great professionals. Yep. They just don't have a cornhole background. So everything's brand new to them. So they don't know exactly how to ask the questions other than very basic generic questions, you right. know, like but Michelle being a cornhole person has an ability to ask very sports specific questions. And I think that changes things mm -hmm. and, she's, and she's able to kind of get into the player a little more than kind of keeping things superficial and at arm's length. Yeah, no, she did a great job. Loved it. Uh, speaking of cornhole, let, let me get to one, one uh, cornhole thing before we get to our guest um, with a couple minutes here before he, he joins us. Um, I, I was just kind of, just kind of looking at some things and preparing for Arizona coming up and uh, it hit me again. You know, Jamie Graham is one, you know, how I love the champion, you know, the, the all-time career wins list. I, I just mm -hmm. love it. I absolutely geek out on that. I love it. <laughs> Jamie, I, I, I forgot. I mean, Jamie Graham, we got to keep our eye on this. He is one win away, one career title away from becoming the all-time winningest player in ACL history. Yeah. You know, we've been, we've been talking about Matt Guy being that guy with 18 career titles. You know, he's, he's been our Jack, he's, you know, he's been our Jack Nicholas and, and Jamie is one away from stealing that. I think that's a big deal. Like, I'm looking forward to that. I think it is, but I think it's an asterisk kind of thing. I mean, when you look at titles, I mean, you didn't always have the shootouts. You didn't always have the number of titles to win that you have now. Yeah. Does that take away from what he – because I think he'll pass it Maybe. this year. Does it take away from it? 
No, not necessarily, but a little bit. I mean, had yeah. Matt Guy had the number of shootouts to play in, had Matt Guy had the number of opens to play in, would his number be different? Probably. Right. And so you kind of have to look at it from that perspective. I do anyway. But does that change the fact that I think Jamie Graham passes him? Because I think, you know, obviously when they win doubles titles, it, it stays constant. Same. You know, but Jamie's going to win shoot another shootout. Jamie's going mm-hmm. to win possibly a singles national. I mean, would, would it surprise you if Jamie wins an open? No, you know what I mean? So I think he passes yeah. him this season. Yeah, I, I selfishly, like, because we've got an open before we go to Arizona, I believe. I think there's an open in One this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, is that this weekend already? Oh, my gosh. It's either this weekend or next, right? I know it's the end of the month. No, it's next weekend. I think it's next okay. weekend. Yeah, I think it's the end okay. of the month. So I know we've yeah. got one more open. But selfishly, mm-hmm. if Jamie's going to do it, I want him to do it in Arizona so we can see it. <laughs> oh, I think <laughs> he, I mean, <laughs> I, it's tough because who's playing better than Kyle Malone right now? But the fact oh, that there there was the break from that weekend, I think, favors Jamie because I don't think he beats Kyle that day. Yeah, but, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. But And, and speaking of Kyle... How great was he last week? I thought one of our best. So yeah, far. I mean, that was really that good. And, and great question by you there at the end. I, I didn't realize. I mean, I knew there was some layers behind him. And, um, you know, we, we all kind of knew um, about the suspension. But for him to open up about that last week, that was that was yeah. uh, that was big. That was that was kind of surprising to me. I wasn't sure he was going to do that. But man, great guest. He was Kyle's awesome. a pretty straightforward guy. I mean, he's got yeah. his. You know, everyone's got their things, but Kyle's a pretty open book. Yeah. All right, you ready for our guest? Absolutely. All right, he is no doubt one of our favorites in the sport, and by saying that, Trey Ryder is going to be really, really jealous. <laughs> <laughs> but no, the guy that we got on this week um, is, is a friend of ours. Um, I mean, I've known him since I first got into the sport. So he's a friend. He is a former ACL pro. We're going to be spending a lot of time together, it sounds like, this year. He's going to mm-hmm. be my, my broadcast partner on the shootouts. Uh, Bernie, he's he's probably widely respected maybe as one of the most analytical guys in the sport. I mean, you call him a professor for a reason. I mean, this guy is a deep dive into the sport of cornhole. No one knows more than than uh than than he does and on top of that he's also by the way a full-time mechanical engineer so he also holds down a full-time job and he's a terrific dad and again uh, and a great friend so so happy to have on borderline once again please welcome to the show show anthony i own what's, what's up, up guys what's my guy yes what's the what's up, man how you doing Man, Jeff always has the best intros, man. It is uh it's you, special, you, isn't it? It kind of pumps you up a little bit. You're like, oh, that, that was that was pretty good. Can I steal that? <laughs> well, you know, sometimes sometimes Anthony, I don't I mean for me, it's easy. Sometimes I, I I don't think like like let's use Kyle Malone last week as an example. Sometimes I don't I don't think that you guys even realize how much you've achieved. Uh, whether it's whether it's in your life or in your sports, I mean, you, I mean, it's it's easy for me because I I feel like every week we have really good people on the show, so my part's easy. I think sometimes maybe you guys are shocked by what you've done. I mean, I, I guess we can kind of start there. I mean, are are you shocked by by you know the sports and what it's become and the fact that you're you and I are going to be calling cornhole on national TV together this this year? I mean, th- do you ever get a chance to absorb that, or are you just too busy? I think you're right. I think I think it happens in baby steps, right? You're like, oh, you kind of get good at your local league, and then you win some type of a regional thing, and then maybe you knock down a conference, and then you're taking these baby steps over years, and then maybe when you just you just don't kind of look back on it and go, started here, 
you know, now we're here, like, you know, seeing that, that growth. Um, yeah. Someone like Kyle Malone, probably the same thing, you know, it just kind of happens. I call it digging a hole in cornhole. You know, like, I feel like I started digging a hole in this game five years ago. And then now it's just like, I am buried in cornhole. It's like, I don't think there's any way out. I think you embrace it and you love it and you just move forward. But yeah, looking on it, reflecting on it. Uh, now that you say it, you know, it's like, Oh shit. Yeah. We are going to, we are going to be broadcasting this yeah. year. Let's do this. Let's do this. <laughs> but, hey, funny, funny, sto- funny sto- story, Jeff, you'll love this. So I guess a few years ago when you and I did our first thing together, Anthony, it was on one of the digital broadcasts. It was on the main court, but it was a digital broadcast. Anthony comes up to me and he's like, Hey man, what should I do? He's like asking me for advice. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You're, yeah. you're a million times better at me than like better at this than I am. And you're asking me for advice. I've got nothing for you, man. Literally nothing for you. I, were, I think were, you wearing, were you wearing the stocking cap when he asked you? I should have. I should have been. I think it would have gone better had I done that. I'm not sure he would have asked you if you're wearing the stocking cap. <laughs> let's let's go ask the dude in the toque. Yeah, man. Being on TV. <laughs> got to keep That's it warm. Cool. You know, you guys have full heads of hair. You don't really understand what it's like. Hey, speaking, of, speaking of speaking of intros, we, we did have Bernie on our show one time, and I kind of challenged Trey. I was like, we need a Jeff style intro for Bernie. There, there's <laughs> nothing to say. <laughs> there's literally nothing there to talk about. He's a guy. Here he is. <laughs> he's a guy. He's, <laughs> he's this person that some of you know. He's there. Bernie. He's yeah. always there. He's, he's always kind of around. There. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's there at every single event. Yeah, he seems Everyone to be there a lot. Sees this guy. Yeah, Everyone you know who guy. we're talking about, kind of. Freaking Bernie, that that's that's Bernie for you. Like just right there, that's Bernie <laughs> for you, man. He won't take any credit. Uh, he's a big piece of all of this that we do. Um, I, I love I love hanging out with Bernie, man. It's uh it's always a good time. Look at the professor. Well, while, hey, while we're talking about <laughs> while we're talking about uh, TV. Uh, you got to be fired up about this. And Anthony, I, I'm truly, I mean, I, you know, I love working with, with Trey and, and Trey has literally in three years, he's, he's, I love him like a brother. Um, and, and, but I totally get why he's doing what he's doing. I mean, we got a ton of events that we're going to be traveling to and broadcasting and someone's got to run the ship. Right. I mean, I talked about it last week, Stacy's the King, but, uh, but gosh, darn it. I mean, Trey's got to be there to start running some of this stuff because the sport's getting so huge. So I hate, he's got to step back a little bit, but that being said, I am super excited about doing these shootouts with you because I think you bring, you bring, I mean, as analytical as Trey is, I think you bring it to a different level, man. Like I cannot wait to talk um, about some of the really, you know, you know, like baseball really went through this era of saber metrics, right? I feel like we're kind of entering that with, with cornhole and, and you with your cornhole science, I wish you had time to even dig into that even more, but I know you're a super busy guy, but you know, these, the, all these metrics that we have now in cornhole is super interesting, dude. Like I cannot wait to dive into some of this stuff with you. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, if you kind of go just to your opening, you know, you talked about, just talk about the scope of where broadcasts are going and what Trey is up against. I mean, if you look at last year, you probably add them all up. You know, you had, what was it, maybe nine shootouts. You had maybe six or eight of the Super Holes. You had all the Nationals, all the Worlds. And now this year, we're going to say, let's throw nine teams events on top of that. So you're going to have yeah. all, you know, the eight events plus the championship. So I don't know what that adds up to, but I'm best, I'm betting it's mid-20s, maybe close to 30 broadcasts. So for Trey to take that on in addition to what he's doing, just like the rest of the stuff going on in yeah. this sport that we all love, every piece of it's growing. You know, the 
the the marketing team is growing the our content team is growing you know the the folks working all of the the sales of all of the the gear and the hats all of that is growing so here's another example where we just we just have we need to develop more people to be a piece of this and contribute to the growth and and here's where I'm coming in super excited man so it looks like I'll be doing the the so there's going to be nine shootouts right we're going to have eight of the lead up the you know the feed in matches to the, the final plus yeah. the final so yes yeah, so you got nine there and then we're going to it sounds like we're going to grow the super hole a little bit more we're going to have eight plus a plus a final so nine of those so yeah 18 18 uh, tv broadcasts um at nine different events cuz i think we're going to double time it right we're going to do two at each right two at each event so yeah so well, hey, not, not not to not to put you on the spot but like what what do you want to get out on the tv broadcast like how do you i mean what do you want me to feed you to do you want you want to talk more about because i mean i you know I, I like to dive into some personal stories but but like what what do you want me to do you really want to dive more into the metrics and the mechanics and all that kind of stuff what do you what are you looking forward to to telling and talking about i don't think so i mean um so and i think bernie you mentioned this on a recent episode of borderline you know you have your and it might have been with kyle malone actually we have our stream courts right where we're speaking more to diehard people you know it's we get yes. really deep into it we get you know on that mic i'm more rapid fire you know it's like almost bag by bag building up to some you know final hit or some climax i think on the tv broadcast and you know better than me i think it's different right your audience is different your demographic is different i don't think we get too crazy with the depth we go in i mean i would love to get into some x's and o's maybe just a little bit more yeah um, i agree but yeah, but certainly for me, it's going to be about developing a two-man, you know, ESPN-style broadcast relationship, really pulling back on that rapid fire, really technical, really detailed, and speaking more to a uh, a common audience, the living room audience. Um, mm -hmm. That's where I'm looking to develop and how I feed off of you, you know, kind of knowing when is the right time to come in and waiting for you to set me up, but then be prepared to give more of a big picture analysis as opposed yeah. to, oh, he threw a, you know, a reverse cut tilted throwing hand. He got a two inch cut around a level two block, you know, like people are going to go, <laughs> what the hell? Well, no, no, what the heck? Well, so, well, no, 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 no. Hold, hold on. Hold on. And I, I think this goes back to a point that Jeff's made a, a, a quite a few times and he made it again at the beginning talking about how the average fan you're talking to different sports executives or broadcast executives like to see the 25 bags in a row. I think someone like Anthony can change that a little bit because he is so in depth with why a dirtier game is a more exciting and b harder to play. And I think having someone like Anthony on your team isn't as a, I mean, Trey could do this as well, but Anthony's so good at coming up with the reasons why so fast. So he can take you in two or three rounds and explain to you why, hey, what they're doing right now is actually a little bit harder to do and more exciting than just these guys throwing every bag in the hole. And I think that's going to be really good for the sport going forward because it, it will finally give the average viewer a reason to why they're seeing bags on the board and bags off the board. Right. Yeah. In yeah. the past, as a, you know, obviously I was a player first, right? So that's how I got deep into this thing as a player and a pro. And now, as a part of the commentary team, but it's like in the past, I always wanted to do the players justice <laughs> in a, in, in a commentary. I wanted to, I wanted them to look back on it and, and make it exciting to watch their own match. So it's always been very like, 
you know, player detailed, very, very deep, but I still want that experience for them. I want, you know, we're, we got Kyle Malone and Jamie Graham coming up here soon. You know, we've got, you know, Roji Streaker and Cheyenne. I want them to be able to look back on their TV broadcast match and go, I, I want to predict correctly. I want to be able to predict the next shot. So that does require a lot of technical mind, right? Hey, I know what bag she's throwing. I know she's going to throw a stick side. I see the setup. I know Cheyenne is a player. I know Jamie Graham is a player. So I want to get really good at predicting the right shot. Um, I think that's exciting for them too, as well as the audience. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of things I want to accomplish, but definitely tightening up our relationship, getting really good at shot predictions, and then maybe dropping a little, just a little bit more technical kind of feedback to the viewers. Yeah. I love that. You know, this past weekend, um, to use a football analogy, and we do not see him in a, in a uh, TV analyst role very often because he's always in the studio. Tony Dungy was so good this past weekend. I mean, you, you can tell he's still close to the game, and this is this is why you being a a former pro and still a current player at a high level is so so critical. Because Tony Dungy, despite his age, is still so close to the game. He could he could kind of predict, and he could see the game plan. You know, it was it was just it was like because he was doing the Chargers and the Jaguars, and he could tell exactly what the defensive plan was for the Chargers. He said they moved everybody up right and and cut off all of the short passes by Trevor Lawrence. He had no place to go, no outlets, nothing across the middle. They knew that that's what he was going to do, so they shut that down. And the fact that he instantly picked up on that uh, was, just, was just terrific. And that's what I think you are going to bring so much to the broadcast because you are going to see that strategy instantly. And you're right, you're going to be able to predict, hey, here's what he's doing and here's what he needs to do. So I'm super excited. I'm super excited about that. But um, I know we're going to run out of time again. We always do this with you. And, oh, and, it and, and for right. people who don't know, <laughs> people who don't know, Anthony is a great personal story. So we are going to get into this. But but real quick, Bernie, you bring up a great point. Um, and I'm slowly starting to see that it is so important on our end to talk about the importance of cornhole, how the game is kind of changing. And and there is a defensive element to the sport. You know, it's not like darts. It's not like bowling. There's there's defense to this niche sport that that you can play, and I think that's an important side to to talk about. And I've actually even noticed some of my friends, you know, who will say, "Hey, you know, these guys are so good to watch." And I've noticed that sometimes they'll even try and get in the way of somebody else, you know. So people are getting it. Yep. I, yep. I feel like they're kind of getting it. So I think that'll I think that'll be I think that'll be be really important. And, and I'm glad you said that, Anthony, because that that's something that you and I can can focus on. All right, well, guys. I mean, hey, yeah, I, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. We, we no, I, 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 no, the only thing I was going to say yeah. was, like, I think from a player, and Anthony, tell me if I'm wrong, I think it would be harder to throw a really good block than to throw it in the hole. Oh, there's no doubt. So it is harder to throw a block. Now, when we say block, throwing a block in the right position yes. versus a hole shot. Because the way I look at it, and actually, I just dropped a video today. It'll be a good watch for you, Jeff. Um, it'll really kind of build some of that competency as well, that knowledge. But I dropped a, a video today called The Blocker. Now, it's going to be a three-part series. It'll describe the level one, <laughs> the level two, and then three through six will be its own uh, video. So it's going to be a three-part series. I've done two. I don't know if I'm going to do the third. It's a really big like investment time-wise, but I think eventually I need to get it done. But it goes through just that, how hard it is to lay a block because you're controlling both the distance and the left to right on a hole shot. Yes. You don't really need to control your, you just, you could hammer the hole at mass, <laughs> mass velocity and still end up in the hole. You're really just controlling your left to right. So 
laying a perfect block is so important. And also you're kind of putting yourself out there when you miss that block, you've kind of given up two points right out of the yeah. gate. So it is a, it's a, it's a risk to commit to when you miss back blocks, you typically give up big points, four points, mm. seven points. So it's the most underrated shot in my opinion. And I talk about that in the video and the most difficult, I think to throw, cause it usually comes with a bit of pressure too. Cause you're like, if I miss this, I'm screwed. So it's a, it's a tough, <laughs> it's a tough shot. That That's perfect right there. What you just said. Yeah. It's it, that, that, and that goes into Bernie's point that that's what we need to talk about. I love that kind of stuff because I think it's easy. I think it's easy to comprehend. I mean, even I comprehend a, a level one block versus level two versus a level three and below. I get mm -hmm. it. I, I understand what, where the, but why? Yes. Why is it what and what's the difference between a level two? Why would you throw a level two versus level one? You know, yep. getting into that kind of stuff. I, I think I, I don't know. I think people will like that. I think it might be kind of fun to get into. So we'll do that. Heck yeah. Let's do that. All right, real quick. Um, predictions this year. I, I kind of uh, you and I were emailing back and forth. Um, I, I thought it'd be kind of fun to not only hear your favorites, but maybe hear maybe a couple of people that you're worried about. I, I opened up to you last night and Bernie, I, I, I don't think I. I don't think I tagged you on this. I'm sorry. I should have. I, I'm a player that I'm worried about this year, um, and 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 I love him, Matt Guy. I, yes. For, for some reason, I'm concerned about Matt Guy, it, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna freak out and say the game has passed him by, um, or, or not you know not age wise, just style wise. Um, I'm worried about I'm worried about Matt Guy and what I'm seeing out of him versus what I'm seeing out of the field. Is there any name that that you're concerned about this year? Um, Matt guy, do you agree I with me at all? Or no? So, Absolutely, hundred percent. For me, I don't worry about Matt guy being a top ten player. <laughs> he's there's no, no way he's not going to be a top ten player. Yeah. Um, what I worry about is getting to the final and winning those championships, specifically in round limited formats. Yes. Um, just because it's a whole different mindset. Now, Matt guy might be the most aggressive player on the planet. But that aggression comes with talent. So if either of us got up to the board with an 81% airmail, for example, we're going to be more aggressive on the airmail because we're so good at it. But I think there are times when, and he was actually just on a, on a recent uh, podcast himself, um, where he was talking about, hey, maybe it's time I start thinking about the game a little differently. Maybe it's why I'm not winning these championships. So I think Matt Guy should continue doing what he's doing, but just change his decision-making a little bit. Uh, meaning, hey, I'm going to push this level one block versus go over the top of it. You know that that could be the two points on round ten that got him a W. So, but do, but does he throw it hard enough? I mean, that's always. I mean, believe it or not, I like most people don't realize this at home. He simply doesn't throw it that hard. Agreed. No. So can he get a sticky bag that's on the sticky side? Can he push through a lot of those? I don't know if he can. Totally. Agree. And that's the thing. Matt guy is so good. He does not need to push through anything level two or lower. He just needs to slide through a level one. That's sure. it. Sure. And he's not a push guy. He isn't, he doesn't have the technique, the speed, the, the, the flatness of a bag to, to be a push guy, but he can shove through a level one all day. Yet he chooses to airmail over those. And sometimes it pay, I think it's big or low, right? You're going to, it's going to pay off big sure. or it's going to kill you in the end. But I'm not worried about, about Matt guy being a, a top 10, top five player but I do worry about some of the round limited formats and some of the decision-making. Well, hold on. I'm not worried about him being a top 10 player. I am worried about him being a top five player. Yes. And I, and I think that's the difference with Matt guy, because for his entire career, he's been the guy, I mean, not to be punny, yeah. but is it, are I'm we, are with, we getting, with you, Bernie. Are we getting to a point where he's 
starting to maybe be fifth or sixth best in the world? Are we there yet? Yeah, I mean, I have him at five right now when we dropped our our top 10 and only because of decision making. Uh, I don't think anyone is going to out airmail Matt Guide and they're not going to out chase him to the hole. Sure. Um, but if he can change up some of his decision making, I think he goes from five to one just sure. just with some some decision making there. But but will he? I mean, that's the thing. Will he? Yeah. I mean, people get pretty stubborn. Yeah. Talk about the history of the game. How, how long has this game been around? Matt Guy is a good example of it. He was throwing his first bag like 25 years ago. Yeah. So he's told his story about, you know, I think it was driving a truck and he saw a yep. sign and it was uh, and he dipped in. If you take that back, it was 20, like 25 years ago. So someone who's been that successful for so long coming in and, you know, it's like you can't teach an old dog new tricks like, hey, now we want you to do this. Well, why? This has been working for me for so long. I think it's getting over that mindset and accepting something a little bit different. Not a big change, just a small change. And I yeah. think he would it would benefit him largely. So any any other names that, that come to mind that you are concerned with, whether it's because of a change of a bag or just because of the style of play right now? Anybody like like Jordan Power? Um, I, I love Jordan, right? I love watching him play. I mean, there's so many players I love, and I feel like I say I love everybody, but I truly do. But I mean, Jordan, Jordan, uh, you know, the bag change. And that wasn't something yep. that I noticed until Myrtle Beach. Wally said, hey, wait till you watch him with the Titan bags. I think he might be still trying to get used to it. And Jordan's saying all the right things, but is he is he comfortable with those new bags? I mean, is does someone like that worry you at all? Hey, there, there's a lot to be said about putting a new bag in your hand. Not only yeah. going through the break-in process to get it where you want, and, and no bag breaks in the same way twice. I mean, Tony Smith is a good example. He's probably never going to get that combat to break in the same way that his current Reds do. Uh, Alec Ryan going through the same thing with his cannons, with his, with his bag. So the way a bag feels... And the way a bag reacts, it's so huge when you get down to this elite level. You know, I mean, hey, if you're out there throwing comp bags and you put a new bag in your hand, probably not a big difference. But these guys are so accurate and so precise. If something is just slightly small, the speed is just that much faster. The bounce out of it is just that much less. You know, it's going to change everything for these guys and how they approach to the game. And Tony Smith is a good example. So I think all the players are going through that. All the players have to throw these new 2023, uh, you know, dated pro model bags. Everyone's out there getting ready for nationals, breaking these yeah. things in. So I think that does level the, the playing field a little bit. The speed control guys need to get those things, whatever they do, get them dirty, you know, get them, get them broken as much. However they get them to get them to the speed where they need to get to is going to be really important going into national one. Tony Smith, again, I use him because his entire game is based off of the speed of his bag. Um, Alec Ryan, another example. So they need to really get those things right where they need because they're. it's a more complex game that they play uh, to get to the same spot. You know, a Matt guy is going to reach a championship this way. Those guys are going to reach a championship this way. It's a lot harder the way that they're doing it just because they're, they're throwing these difficult, complex bags to throw. You put those bags in an average person's hand, it's amazing what those things do. You know, they'll have a yeah. bag going straight at the hole and then it cuts off of the board. Like it's that drastic of a chain. You know, it's like swinging bladed clubs versus regular clubs. There like, you go. You, yeah. you know, there, there's a good analogy. You know, it's just you got to have the talent to be able to do that. So, I've got yeah. one, I've got one for you. When you're talking about Jordan Power, and this is something that's been bothering me about Jordan and a couple other players, because remember a while back, Jeff, we had a show and we talked about, you know, kind of you know, a little bit of the chatter, a little bit of talk and smack in the sport, which I don't mind as long as it's organic. 
right? Like if it's if it's if it makes sense and it's kind of part of what's happening. For example, the World Championship comeback that he and Jay had, it seemed organic. It seemed yeah. natural when he was talking smack. He's getting to a point, and I and I think there's some other players that are like they're talking so much because they think that's part of who they are that it's taking themselves out of their game at times. Yep. And it's adding pressure to their games. I think Adam Hisner is someone that does this, especially in doubles where he's talking too much. It's like it's part of your game. We understand it's part of your game, but you can tell when it's genuine and organic, and you can tell when it's kind of forced, contrived, and kind of contrived. And like, I, yes. I, I, and I wonder if if there's a line there that some of these players, when they step over it, it makes it harder on themselves. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I've seen it, and I'm sure I'm sure Anthony, you have too. And and just because we're talking about Jordan, I don't mean to pick on Jordan, but no. I've seen it. I have seen it firsthand become a distraction for him because all of a sudden all the attention is on him and that's tough to deal with right and then it can also it can also work against you and your opponent can get all fired up so i've yep. definitely seen it backfire in some players yeah I mean, i'm fine with it as long as it's organic i, I don't yeah, like this contrived piece of it yeah there can't be like scripted shit talking you know like it has <laughs> exactly to, exactly it just has to happen naturally but <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah, to answer your question, Jeff, I think you could talk about who we're not worried about. You know, I think there's only like five guys we shouldn't be worried about. You know, someone like an Alex Rawls, a Mark Richards, a Matt guy wouldn't be worried about uh, from from a elite level. Um, you know, maybe even a, a Jamie Graham for sure. I think those are the few that, you know, would show up on everyone's top 10 list. But then there, it really opens up, man. The talent is so insane right now, you know, like. A Josh Holland I might be worried about. Can he maintain a top 10 status right now? Is he falling a little bit with all the talent coming? Tanner Halbert isn't out there playing oh, as much as one. all of these young players. You know, he's great call. He's got small kids. He's got a job. I mean, I talked to him. He's like, yeah, I, I mean, I play in my weekly blind draw or my weekly whatever. Somehow that guy, can. it blows my mind that he's able to still compete at a top 10 level with minimal, minimal time. Um, then you got the guys like Harbaugh who are putting in insane amounts of time. All of these rookies, the Hamiltons, the JBJs, you know, um, the Whedonfields, these guys wake up, they play cornhole till they go to sleep. I mean, that's what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. And there's something to be said this year about the committed pro players. We had a huge spike this year in the number of players that quit their job, dedicated their time to this game professionally so and there was one bracket i want to say it was the open last open of the open before when you went across the winner of every open bracket there was only one player who wasn't a committed pro cornhole player <laughs> someone who didn't have a full-time job on the side so these players are starting to show that it does pay off to commit what? to this game was it Tanner's racket? Because Tanner, Tanner, Tanner had Murderer's Row he had to go through in Myrtle Beach. Yeah, there was one of those brackets in Myrtle Beach that was insane. We never, I, I wanted to talk about it on around the ACL, but never got to it that oh. level. But yeah, you told was, me when a, he played, I was like, whoa. Yes, yes, no doubt. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a big factor this year is, is committed players. All right. Well, speaking of guys who are committed and guys who have other jobs, you have another job. We talked about it. You're a full-time mechanical engineer, so I know our time is short with you. But Anthony, I did want to spend some time and, and just kind of pull back the curtain with you. We had a great conversation with Kyle Malone. I don't. I know you're busy. I don't know if you had a chance to, uh, yes, to watch it last week. I did but, watch it. But at the end, Bernie asked a great question. You know what? What? You know what? Why all of a sudden is Kyle Malone back? Like what happened? And all of a sudden, Kyle just really opened up about making better choices in his life. And he was in a really dark, dark um, spot. And yep. I, I'm, I'm not sure a lot of people know this about you, Anthony, that 
you're a terrific story. And we didn't get a chance to talk about this when we had you on several months ago, but, but, you know, on the outside, you are, I mean, you are tall and slender, good looking, athletic, successful, <laughs> but, but you, you've been through a lot of shit, man. And, and, and I think it's a great story. Like with Kyle, Kyle, Kyle's kind of in the middle of it, right? He's trying to come back from it. He still is. You can tell you've done that, man. You, you, you've had, I mean, I, I wrote it down last time cause I want to talk to you about it, but family alcoholism, um, abuse, uh, you, you talked about a black market adoption. I don't even know what that is. Uh, yeah. poverty, cancer. I mean, you've been through a lot, man. How, how have you, you know, what have you been through and how have you gotten over it? Yeah, that's, that's uh Hey, that, that's deep. Um, and that's, what's cool. You brought up, you brought up Kyle Malone. I think there's, this is one of the reasons why I'm so like that extra cool thing about being a part of this ride is there's so many cool stories out there. I mean, you got Dayton Weber out there competing at the highest level as a quadriplegic, you know, you got Tyler Poitras's, he just came out, talking about exiting the pro division, fighting through and managing his anxiety struggles. Jay Rubin is a cool story. You know, um, you know, his upbringing, his, his loss, you know, close to death, the homelessness. Um, Derek King's another cool story uh, that I think will come out sometime in the future. But yeah, man, I think we all have our own stories, right? Everybody has their own stories on, on, on what got them there. And everybody's unique in that way that all, and somehow it all culminated to us being a part of this, this game together. I think that that is so cool and something, but yeah, for me, you, you kind of, you kind of hit the bullets there. Um, but yeah, I was born in Colorado. Um, real young, had young parents, 18 years old, right out of, uh, right out of high school. And, um, you know, my father just started hitting the bottle right out of the gate, you know? So he was struggling with pretty early with alcoholism. It, it got out of control. I was only like one or two when it peaked. So within a one to two year period, it just got as bad as it could be. But you know, uh, beat up my mom really bad, you know, numerous times. Um, there were guns involved. There were drugs involved. Ultimately, she was one of those stories where it's kind of the stuff you see on movies, you know, where she couldn't leave because she feared her life, but knew what she had to do. So she stashed money away as she needed to and came up with a plan to basically disappear. Um, so when I was like two, we were one day in Denver, Colorado, and the next day we were gone and we, we fled to Florida. Um, this is where her father had lived at the time. He was a military man. So he kind of bounced around, settled in Florida. Um, but yeah, so we, we bounced down there. It was real tight. You know, she didn't have an education. Um, she didn't have any really like skills. Uh, so she just was drawn to what was available and, just started waiting tables at the time. Um, met a guy when I was like five um, and they had a child together. And that's kind of when life started to get good for us. You know, now you've got two incomes. Um, you know, there's a little bit more stability in the house, um, which ultimately turned bad again. Um, so together they adopted my little sister. Um, there, That's a whole cool story as well. But in, in real short, there were three little girls uh living in a car in florida and my mom is one of those people who my mom is tough man my mom is as tough as it gets um the the shit that she has been through is insane she has a huge heart she eventually became a nurse which i'll, I'll just talk real quickly about later but bottom line three kids homeless duct tape diapers stuck to them the day before thanksgiving she sees this and somehow convinced who doesn't speak any english this is down in florida um, let me take your daughters home for Thanksgiving, brought three of these girls home with us. She allowed it. We bathed them. We fed them. We 
cleaned them, brought them back. It was tough after Thanksgiving, had to bring them back, right? <clears throat> She's like, I can't do this. I can't just bring these kids back. <coughs> it's a really long story, but started the adoption process. We adopted the youngest. My mom's best friend at the time adopted the middle. And then my grandfather, who was also living in Florida, adopted the oldest. So we rescued all three of these little girls from living out of a car. The last one, the oldest one, um, had an offer to buy on the black market. Uh, there's a whole adoption thing on the black market. That was the only adoption that hadn't gone through yet. Um, FBI got involved. My grandfather had to get wired up. Ultimately, this little girl was saved, and she's now in our family, and she's the one that she sits at our, you know, our Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners. Uh, she lives in Florida right now, but somehow rescued them. Uh, that was a crazy story, but wait, as wait time a second. Sorry, sorry, to, sorry to stop you right there. So just, no. just to clarify, just because I don't know anything about this world. So so did they find out that the family of the girl then, or, or the the alleged family who wanted to adopt her then, that, that, that they didn't want to adopt her for good good intentions? Yes. Yeah. So they ended up actually busting that whole oh. ring or that whole thing. And it was crazy being a part of the, the wire up for my grandfather. But at the end of the day, they, they allowed our adoption to go through and that was 30 something years ago. So that was, yeah. it was just a whole insane thing. Um, but the father that my, or the, the man that my, my mom married when we were down in there who had the child with, who had the adoption with, man, I was like 12. I get a phone call from my mom. Uh, they had actually separated when I was about 12 or 13. We were visiting, get a call, and it was just, I'll never forget that call, but it was like I was put into action to basically save my brother and sister. So, again, a whole nother story. He was arrested on the spot. He did life in prison. So we basically went from this family of five to now my mom on her own. Um, again, no skills. You know, she was waiting tables. Um, my brother was diagnosed with a mental disorder. My, my, my sister was diagnosed with leukemia at four all at the same time. So she's fighting cancer dirt poor. This is where everything went really South for us. Um, so we were basically on, came back to Colorado. That was our only way to survive. Came back to Colorado. We were living in the poorest areas you could in Colorado. We were on food stamps. Uh, the, the, uh, the terminal illness actually helped pay our rent. We got $600 a month from they call it like an SSI or some government thing, but that actually helped pay our our rent, having a terminal ill child in the house. It was pretty bad, man. You know, our neighbors were crackheads. You know, um, I grew up in that probably for about four years until I turned 16 when I was able to work. Um, but before that, it was, I had to raise the kids. You know, my mom had to go out and work. So my summers, the worst thing in the world were my summers between like 12, 13 and, and 15. You know, it was Full time, morning to night, raising kids, eating, feeding them, entertaining them, teaching them. Um, it really changed my relationship with my mom. We were no longer a mother, you know, son relationship. It was like we were partners trying to just get through this thing together. And I think there's something to be said when there's no other options and your back is against the wall as a child. You do what you got to do. You know, like there's there's no no. You know, it's, it's a little different from the way, at least that my kids are raised, you know, where they have everything they need and you, you try and instill entitlement and, you know, lack of entitlement and appreciation. But at the time it was like, you do what you got to do to survive. Um, but yeah, the, the day I turned 16 really changed our life around. I knew I had to get in there full time, started helping pay bills. Cause it was the only way to get by. We were actually able to upgrade from our, our, uh, our ghetto ass two bedroom, you know, crackhead apartment 
to a nicer area, three bedroom or the first time I kind of had like my own bedroom, my own space, being able to help pay the bills. And that really opened up my eyes to opportunities in life. You know, as soon as I um, started working, it was like, this is it. I'm about to start making insane amounts of money. So full-time working, going to high school, I was always really good at school. So I was able to, to knock that out somehow, graduated still with honors um, and worked my way up the chain, man. By the time I was 18, I was in two years, I worked in the restaurant business because that's what my mom had done. But in two years, I'd worked my way up to, I was literally your tuxedo selling $1,000 bottles of wine to, to Pat Bolin and the Broncos and the Nuggets and celebrities coming in. You know, um, I, I remember you, I, I hate to interrupt, but I remember you telling just recently a great story about how, you know, how much pressure it was having to open up you know, a bottle of wine that's several <laughs> thousands of dollars. Yeah, like like right? you cannot spill even one drop. Yeah. Don't mess every it up. Drop, every drop is money. So, exactly. Exactly. Hey, hey dude, we're gonna we're gonna have we're gonna have to cut you yep. off and do and do part two and, and and because because the next step of your life is crazy. Also, I mean, as, as crazy as your background is, that all of a sudden, you know, at some point, going and getting a higher education and getting a job and having your own family. I mean, it's it's just a great story. And man, I'm sorry, brother, we got to cut you. I mean, the, these are shows every Bernie, time. Every hey, Bernie, Bernie, Bernie only got 10 minutes on our show, so I'm, yeah. feeling, I'm feeling good here. <laughs> These are the shows where we could do like Joe Rogan, right? We'd go three hours easy, right? Yeah, no so, doubt. <laughs> hey, hey, Anthony, I, I can't wait to to do the TV uh, uh, events with you. So looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, we'll have you on again soon so we can tell kind of part two of your comeback story because it, it truly yeah. is incredible. Uh, all right, brother, have a, have a great week. Thanks for coming on. And uh, I guess we'll see you, see you in a few weeks down in Arizona. Yes, sir. See right you guys, on. thanks for having me. See you, buddy. Bye, guys. All right, Anthony. Man, I sorry, brother. Hate to do it. We're we're yeah, we're, we're, we're out. We're out. Yeah. All right, dude. Have a good week. I'll talk to you later. Yes, sir. Great story. Wow. Thanks, everybody.